I would say that a Whataburger is a bargain at any price. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Whataburger is without a doubt the quintessential restaurant of Texas, not simply for its hearty, hot, and fresh food, but also for the hard-working ethic of founder Harmon Dobson. Today we talk about Texas' own orange and white paradise, Whataburger. But first, who's your favorite Oscar nominee from Texas? All right, all right, all right. I'm going to go with Matthew McConaughey. He's, I like him. He should win. He should win. That movie's amazing, Dallas Buyers Club, set in Texas. He should win just because he's Matthew McConaughey. I really don't have another one that I can think of that uh, I liked it, uh, from Texas. But I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> uh, Woody Harrelson was nominated, I think, year before last, and he's from Texas, and yeah. he's got a great father uh, <laughs> with a fascinating story. Uh, so maybe that's a subject for a podcast at a later time, but I like, I like his partner from True, True Detective, Woody Harrelson. I like winners. And Tommy Lee Jones is a winner from Texas. (laughs) That's true. Harmon Archibald Dobson was born in Oklahoma, October 8, 1913. Shortly thereafter, the family moved to the tiny town of Cushman, Arkansas, near Batesville, where they had a small but pleasant existence on the farm. Harmon was whip-smart and enrolled in the University of Missouri, but the financial pressures of the Great Depression forced Dobson to return home to aid the family. Dobson was destined for bigger things, however, and left Arkansas for the road, taking on a variety of odd jobs throughout the country. His sister, Lena Ray, said, quote, I think he learned a lot out there, self-reliance and how to stretch a dollar. In 1934, he found work as an iron worker and during World War II worked in the busy shipyards of the East. When not busy in the shipyards, Harmon took on a variety of odd jobs, pipe fitting, national youth administration projects, scrapyard work, and cable rigging for the Bell Telephone Company. Dobson took every opportunity to learn new trades and ideas and also became an avid diarist. His journals give us an amazing picture of the life of an industrious and self-made man. In March 1942, Dobson took a job with the firm Johnson, Drake, and Piper to travel to North Africa to build an Allied airbase. On his last night in America, he visited Jack Dempsey's bar and took a photo with the legendary heavyweight boxing champ. He traveled by boat, train, and plane to Asmara, in what is now Eritrea between Sudan and Ethiopia on the Red Sea, where he began work on the base. The work was difficult, hot, and constant, and most of the entries in his journal during this time simply stated, quote, worked. In December, he was sent to Egypt to assist in another Air Force base. Being the wanderer that he was, before reporting, he visited the Great Pyramids and toured the forbidden streets of Cairo. Dobson spent Christmas Eve 1942 in Bethlehem and Christmas Day in Jerusalem. In his journals, he wrote, Quote, kneeled at the actual birthplace of Christ in a moment's silent prayer and gave offering at manger where he was laid. Jerusalem, he said, quote, was like no other place on earth, saw exact spot where Christ was crucified and where he was buried, end quote. His final entry for 1942 gives the best summation of his life up to that point. Quote, my most eventful year started in Camden, New Jersey and ended in Tel Aviv, Palestine covered about 16,000 square miles over Africa and Middle East and Asia Minor, made $6,675 plus $10,000 expenses, have $4,000 in New York Bank. He continued working in Egypt until the U.S. Army absorbed Johnson, Drake, and Piper. After this, he signed an 18-month contract to build a refinery in Bahrain, where he struck up a friendship with the royal family, 
visiting their summer palace and enjoining them on a pearl diving expedition. While he primarily worked as a crane operator, Dobson got his first taste of restaurant management in Bahrain. His journal states, Have charge of the refinery mess hall. We'll serve up to 750 meals per day. Two head waiters. No work and only about six hours duty for 10 hours time. $21 per day. He later wrote, New job going well, though have much to teach them with reference to hot food and clean dishes. By December 6th, he had the mess hall organized and running well. Quote, have mess boys and waiters organized quite well now. No work except to watch them. That's how you do it. Dobson continued in the mess hall for a while, but eventually boredom drew him back to construction for two months until the war's end in 1945. Boarding a ship in mid-July, after two weeks he was back in New York. He went and saw Oklahoma on Broadway, visited his sisters who lived on the East Coast, and caught a train in August back to Arkansas. Two thoughts that echoed in Harmon's and other young American men's mind at this point were, thank God the war is over, and now what? Dobson realized that many young men would need cars, but automakers would need time to retool and resume production after the war was over and they weren't building planes and tanks. His answer was to start dealing in used cars. With his entrepreneurial knack, clever ideas, and hardworking ethic, Dobson built a healthy practice of finding, buying, and selling cars. He always kept his eyes open for other new opportunities, though. He bought into a rock quarry in Arkansas, and with his knowledge of construction and heavy machinery, extracting and selling the Arkansas sandstone yielded a healthy profit. He also began oil prospecting and bought a small well in Mountain Home, Arkansas, and also expanded his auto business into buying and selling fleet vehicles, such as taxis, trucks, and rental cars. By 1947, with his business ventures so spread out and hoping to ease some of his travel burdens, he learned to fly and bought his first plane. He was a natural and took to flying quickly. In 1949, Dobson spent a year diamond prospecting in British Guiana in South America. It was dangerous work with plenty of hard flying for a risky proposition. But, ever the optimist, his journal for 1950 was revealing, quote, I think this will be an eventful year for me. And upon leaving South America, quote, left for Texas and God knows where. The desire to expand his oil ventures brought him to Houston, Texas in early 1950. Dobson had about $2,500 to invest in an oil operation, which he finally did in Loving County, Texas. Dobson's journal has no entries for the next two months, most likely as his diverse businesses kept him busy. On May 1st, 1950, Dobson bought a frozen custard stand near an Air Force base in Big Spring, located about halfway between Fort Worth and Odessa, and spent three weeks running it and, quote, learning the business. He arranged for the former owner to run the stand for him while he sought to secure financing for Paul Burton, a hamburger expert in some small specialized hamburger joint someplace in Texas, whom he had met during his search for oil investments. His plan with Burton was to open a chain of hamburger stands in the state, and his journal indicated that he thought this latest venture would, quote, turn out to be a very profitable investment, which is something up until May 1st I was very unaccustomed to. Dobson considered several locations for his burger stand, but in the end, an unlikely candidate rose to the top, the South Texas coastal town of Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi had been in existence since the days of the Republic, but in 1926, the port of Corpus Christi opened, which combined with local oil and natural gas to buoy the region through the Great Depression. In 1941, the nation's largest naval air station opened, bringing thousands of new residents and money to the city. In June of 1950, the causeway to Padre Island opened, and it made Corpus a prime vacation destination. Now, any entrepreneur worth his salt could spell an opportunity. Just as he had foreseen the need of Americans needing cars in the post-war period, he also foresaw the desire of Americans to get cheap, hot food on the go. 
In the early 20th century, most, quote, fast food was either countertop diners or automats. But in the 1920s, drive-ins where food could be ordered from and delivered to your car developed. The first drive-in was actually Kirby's Pig Stand in Dallas in 1921. In 1921 also, the Northeast and Midwest chain White Castle opened, and it became, for the most part, the dominant force in American hamburgers and fast food. White Castle burgers were really sliders, and they were cheap, uh, but they were small, about two and a half inches in diameter, with two ounces of meat, and they were made with frozen patties. Now, even standard diner burgers of the time were served only on four-inch buns. Dobson felt that this style of burger was unfulfilling, and to, to differentiate, he felt that the burger should be large and filling, always fresh, never frozen, a quarter pound of meat served on a five-inch bun. He wanted to, quote, make a better burger that took two hands to hold and tasted so good that when you took a bite, you'd say, what a burger. And so was born the Whataburger, which was trademarked in 1950. Yeah, it was. On August 8, 1950, Paul Butler opened the walk-up window of Whataburger No. 1 in Corpus Christi, across the street from Del Mar College. They had no advertising and were concerned that the public would pay for such huge burgers. But they moved 551 burgers at a quarter each on that Saturday. What? <laughs> at this point, Dobson thought that this would just be another business and trusted Paul to mind the store while he handled the rest of his businesses and other ventures that demanded his attention. Dobson headed down to British Guiana to check on his diamond venture where he found complete chaos. The venture was a failure and his partners had bailed on him, leaving him with the debts. It took the rest of the year to sort through the mess and close down the failed business. He returned home in January 1951 and wrote, quote, was never so glad to be home except in 45, and then wrote, am very much confused as to what to do this year. Do wish I could settle down. When he returned to Texas, he cared for his other businesses, tied loose ends, and then finally focused on Whataburger. Number one was doing great business, but was netting small profits. Dobson had a plan to open more stores, but needed to make the store more profitable. Burton and Dobson allegedly disagreed on raising the price of a Whataburger from 25 cents. Dobson gave him his car, a nearly new Plymouth, and said, Take the car, the pink slip, and any franchise territory of your choice. Burton drove away in the car to San Antonio, leaving Dobson owning the company and the trademark, Lock, Stock, and Barrel. To avoid scaring off customers, Dobson made a sign saying, Folks, we priced our burgers too low and lost our shirt. Sorry, but we gotta raise the price to 30 cents. When he opened his next two stores, also in Corpus, the price settled at 35 cents. Around this time, he wrote, Have deeply puzzled feeling over my future. Took close check on inventory. Total 51000 with a $4,000 net loss in two years of constant failures. Still an avid pilot, Dobson scouted locations for new stores from the air. Number four opened in Kingsville, which is 40 miles south of Corpus and was the headquarters of King Ranch, the largest ranch in the United States. To keep things running efficiently, Dobson's sister Lanille came to Corpus in 1952 to help run the business. In the three and a half months it took to open number four, she had the process down, and they sold 1,270 burgers in one day, a new record. One of the customers that day was Joe Andrews from Alice, another town which is 40 miles northwest of Corpus. Joe Andrews was an Arkansas native like Dobson and a former Army Master Sergeant. He lived on the end of a ranch and had purchased a plot of land in Alice with the dream of owning his own business. Having experienced Whataburger, he approached Dobson to become a franchise owner. Dobson made him the first, granting him the rights to Jim Wells County, which is west of Corpus Christi. When store number five opened on his plot in Alice in late 1952, Joe looked out the window and saw, quote, people lined up around the window out to the street and down to the Corpus Highway. 
I wanted you to know it scared the living hell out of me. The hardworking ethic and success of Joe Andrews and his family, as well as Paul Burton, paved the way for future franchise owners that defined the Whataburger experience for decades to come. Dobson preferred to grant franchises to family businesses with the idea that they would run their stores with the same ethic that he ran his. By the end of 1952, Whataburger was an unabashed success, but according to his journal, Dobson was a man unfulfilled, feeling the longing for a family and heirs. This quickly changed, though. Grace Larson was a young widow from his hometown in Arkansas. She had a young son and rented a house from Harmon's younger brother, Coy. When Coy unexpectedly passed away at 37 from a heart defect, the Dobsons were devastated. But in the shadow of his grief, a romance bloomed between Harmon and Grace. Harmony and Grace, isn't that sweet? On her first visit to Corpus in 1955, he took her to Old Number 3 for a Whataburger dinner. The two would marry on March 11, 1955. Until this point, Harmon had been a dedicated journaler, but his final journal entry is on this day, and it was written by Grace. She said, To my children, if you will notice from March 5, 1955 on, there are no entries in this diary. There was no need to write in a diary. We married on March 11, 1955, and no longer did Daddy need to talk to a piece of paper. (laughs) Sweet. From that point on, Dobson's family and his quote-unquote first child, Whataburger, evolved together. Harmon adopted Grace's son, Tom, and they had two other children as well, and all eventually became part of the family business. Stores were opened throughout Texas and even Florida, Tennessee, and Arizona. Fries replaced chips, and stores got cash registers. With the boom of the 50s, Dobson wanted eye-catching signage. After a few experiments, he settled on the iconic A-frame building structure, the first of which was number 24 in Odessa, Texas. These were inspired by aviation hangars, and they towered above the landscape. These orange and white buildings proved to be hurricane-proof and were easily seen from the air, which was a personal goal of Harmon's. By the mid-60s, Whataburger had over 40 stores in 16 cities. But on April 10, 1967, Harmon Dobson was flying with a longtime associate handling business in Beaumont. That afternoon, after a stop in Laporte, Harmon was killed when his Cessna crashed on takeoff. The shock was felt across the state and throughout the Whataburger family. Though he'd only lived in Texas for a few years, his spirit and vision put him squarely in the pantheon of other Texas greats who came to Texas to make themselves and make the state a greater place. Oh, that was nice, Sean. After his death, Grace took control of the business, becoming chairman of the board in 1969. She is credited with preserving her husband's legacy and vision for the business, refusing to sell the company or take it public. Through the 1970s and 80s, Whataburger grew and thrived. In 1971, curbside service began to be replaced by drive through windows, necessitating a new type of A-frame design. By the early 90s, when Tom Dobson became CEO of the company, they had expanded to 500 stores. And today, there are over 700 stores in 10 states, earning revenues of over $1 billion annually. In 2008, due to the effects of Hurricane Ike, the corporation permanently moved its headquarters from Corpus Christi to San Antonio, but the store on Shoreline Drive in Corpus Christi remains the largest Whataburger in the country at over 6,000 square feet. It is the site of a life-size statue of Harmon Dobson watching over his proud legacy and contribution to Texas. Whataburger is one of those Texas institutions that's, you know, always been part of my life. You know, I've always, it's always, just always been there. Um, some of my earliest memories were of the, uh, the, 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 the stuttering Mel Tillis yeah. not being able to say anything in the commercials. Whataburger. Yeah. You know, the, the only intelligible thing come out of his mouth was Whataburger. Whataburger published his great book. It's all about Harmon Dobson and the history of Whataburger, and it covers a legacy 
it's filled with fantastic photos. So if you ever get a chance to find a copy in your local library or you can buy it online from whataburger.com, uh, it's got a lot of the, the great pieces of history and pictures in it. But it's interesting with Mel Tillis, there's all this stuff about when he became the spokesman in the 70s and the 80s. They had the nickel mug campaign and they had these weird ceramic nickel mugs. Oh, yeah. That people still today, collectors find like in thrift stores and people yeah. find them and they pay lots of money for them because I think it's a quarter now. But yeah, I remember those. It's a cup of coffee and for a nickel, you get a, a cup of coffee. Yeah, Just don't throw those. the mug away. Yeah. Uh, they went to a plastic mug later, but. People are not nearly as satisfied as the old no, ceramic no. mugs. The thing about Whataburger is two things that I, I really, I, like you, I took it, I take it for granted. I mean, it's just always been there. Uh, a lot of them are open 24 hours. I, I know in college we would go to Whataburger down the street yeah. and get a burger, get some fries. But uh, the thing about Whataburger I think that's special for Texas is is the, the whole thing of you can get it your way. Yeah. They don't they don't nickel and dime you. I mean, you got to pay extra for cheese, but you know, difference between cheeseburger and hamburger, but everything else you can, you can get any combination of all these. They these have ex- a roll of stickers that have right. all the different things. And when right. you order, they put the stickers on the, on the wrapper. So it's like, I can get jalapenos, onions, tomatoes. I right. would, I would say that Pickles. a Whataburger is a bargain at any price. Right. <laughs> well, the, and it really is the thing. Like it is a Texas burger and a Texas icon and yeah, a Texas it's, but original. It's, but it's, 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 it's just like Texas. It's your way. It's the way you want it. You want that burger to have cheese and lettuce and mustard. And jalapenos. And jalapenos and ketchup, then you can have it. The the, the second thing, the other thing that I liked about it, uh, I was reading, I remember the, the A1 Thick and Hearty burger they had, mm-hmm. which they had until, they had from like 2005, I think, to 2009. When they took it off the menu, <laughs> they set up a support line for people to call in <laughs> So that they could, they could vent about losing this beloved burger, and it was a pretty good burger. But I mean, I, yeah. I, I just like the regular water burger. Yeah. The last yeah. thing was when I went to Omaha a couple of years ago with my dad, and my brother to the College World Series. We sat in front Omaha, of the, Omaha, Nebraska. Omaha, Nebraska. Now this is a long ways away across the plains. They have their own burger traditions there, and they have these thing called steam burgers or something. I forget what they are, but they're they're okay. But they're sounds, not terrible. sounds terrible. Sounds terrible. Is but anyway, we sat in front of this kid. Uh, he was probably 20, 21 years old, uh, and, and he was there with some of his friends. They were locals. Well, we were talking to him, and, and uh, uh, he told us he was a goat farmer. He raised goats. That was what he <laughs> did for a living. But anyway, we were talking to him, and, and he was like, oh, who are you here for to see? And we're, we're, we're from Texas. And he's like, oh, you like University of Texas? Like, no, we're just here to see the game, but we are from Texas. He goes, I love Texas. I take my goats down every year to the state fair to, to sell them and to show them at this Texas state fair. You have this place called Whataburger. It's the greatest hamburger <laughs> I have ever eaten in my life. I go down there just to get Whataburger. And yeah. I was like, that's it's a smart young man from Texas, but still it's a smart yeah, young man. It's, it's Whataburger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like that it's a Texas institution and it's still family owned and it still kind of carries that entrepreneurial spirit that echoes the frontier spirit frontier spirit of early texas and it's still kind of contained right i mean yeah it's in other states but it's one of those things like bluebell ice cream that's not all over the place it's like you still have to get in the vicinity of texas it's part of it's it's telling of my childhood because you know we spent when we were living in corpus as a kid there were water burgers everywhere and there was one in portland right there that we would we would go to and you know I remember people like, oh, McDonald's, McDonald's. I never was big what? on McDonald's. My cousin who lived in Houston was all about Burger King, and I was like, these seem a waste of my time. Because <laughs> Waterburg was just, it was it was excellent and amazing, but I loved the breakfast there. I mean, 
I would like a taquito. Taquitos are great. <laughs> but when I was a kid, they have the breakfast on a bun. So it's like, yeah. it's sausage yeah. and egg on like a on like a hamburger bun. And you're like, that's that's great. That That's what you have like when you're going up at four in the morning to go fishing with your dad. Is yeah. You get a bob, he gets a couple of taquitos and a cup of coffee, and then you're off to yeah. go fishing. Well, and you were talking about, you know, the Whataburgers being open 24 hours when... Uh, my high school years, the Whataburger on town was there on the main drag, and that was the place that everybody went to after the football games. The football games, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think it's I think Harmon would be p- pleased and proud that we were talking about Whataburger in this way of us cherish memories with our family and our friends. I think that's really what he wanted for his company, based on what I'm re- what I've been reading about him. But the other thing is interesting is that he 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 started Whataburger. He had a success. But he still wasn't fulfilled until he got a family, until he started a family. I think the interesting thing about Whataburger is that Whataburger wasn't, didn't make Harmon's family. His family made Whataburger. Yeah. Well, I, I think he's an interesting, you know, I knew a little of the story of Harmon Dobson when I started researching this. But what I found really interesting as I got into his story is, is that, you know, much like you would read the autobiography of, of a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs or Sam Walton or, you know, what? what we sort of categorize as these idea of these self-made yeah. entrepreneurs. Or a Sam Houston or a Stephen F. Austin. Right. Yeah. yeah. They were kind of like businessmen, but not really at all. <laughs> no, but the, the he's a self, he's this really rugged guy. Like he could have yeah. gotten down about things, but he just, he always well, saw everything as an opportunity. He was just, he was always looking for the next big thing and he tried stuff yeah, and, and like failed. Said, Sean, you mentioned Stephen F. Austin and Sam Houston. It's like they, like I was trying to draw that parallel is back in their day, they were on the Texas frontier. They were blazing a new trail of this new life in Texas. Well, as Texas became civilized, there was no longer a real frontier, but then there became like the entrepreneurial frontier. It's like new, new business opportunities. Right. And he, and he didn't, he didn't let failure stop him. No, never did. And in, I think that's the, the thing when you read these interesting biographies of successful people and particularly successful people who come to Texas is they fail and then they pick (laughs) themselves up and they come to Texas and they try again. And, you know, he was, he was always in search of something, but it's interesting because just as we sort of all lived through the quote-unquote dot-com boom of things and we've had tech booms and we've seen these small companies and ideas rise to, you know, we look at things like Twitter, Facebook, things like that that have just blown up. We see Twitter, Facebook, things that have just kind of exploded and blown up. At this time, there was really the birth of the freeway system and then there was this sort of Burger boom, boom. Of fat, burger boom. Burger boom. In the, the book, it, boom. in the book, it cites that hamburgers weren't invented until 1855 yeah, but uh-huh. the, or 1885. But the burger bubble never burst. The burger right. bubble never burst. <laughs> well, in ni- well, there, you know, 1921 had the pig stand and you had White Castle. 1940, you had Dairy Queen. 1950, you had. Most of them came in from about 45 until about 1960. But yeah, it's that post-war McDonald's, Burger King, uh, uh, Hardee's, Jack in the Box, In and Out, all of these companies, these burger stands throughout different parts of the country just sort of popped up and and followed the highway system and followed these cars and 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 Harmon was a, a visionary in that in both of those things, both of the automobile and what the automobile was going to bring to the country. Yeah, and I, I think it's also interesting that of all the different things he tried, the, the thing that lasted was. Whataburger. Whataburger. It's like the, the diamond mine failed. The the car business didn't, you know, he didn't get rich off of that, you know, stuff like that. It's like this this 
new thing. It's this burger stand. Well, and you know, I think the the other part of it that's really interesting that you know is a piece of his story and legacy is even today the stores are very unique looking. For those of you who aren't in Texas, go to the internet, look up Whataburger A-frame, and you'll see these big orange and white buildings, and they're just they're bold. They're they're bold buildings, and you can't mention them. They're, they're beautiful. They're beautiful. They're bold and beautiful. Uh, and the one in Odessa, the first one, is still standing. We talked about that. There's not a lot of them. The original A-frame is still standing, but the yeah. one in Odessa is. And that's a, actually a landmark, it's a, it's isn't a, it's it? A, it's a state historic landmark. Because yeah. um, that's how we roll in Texas. That's how we roll. <laughs> the, the, the interesting thing also, I think, you know, going back to the family, in reading about Miss Gracie, Miss Grace, I'm sorry, uh, in her obituary, she died in 2005, She it said that her proudest thing was that her children were part of the family business, were an important, yeah. critical part of the family business. And that's a, it's a billion-dollar company yeah. that's, there's franchise, but for the most part, it is owned and controlled by one family. And that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. Especially if you look at most of those other fast food companies today. Right, are, right, exactly. I mean, the, the, the Kroc family does not still own McDonald's. It doesn't. It's it's a multinational corporation, but there's something homey and comforting about that. This water Waterburger is a chain of 700 stores, but it is the same store. It is the same family feel that it always has. I'm gonna have to stop at Waterburger. I think I'm gonna have Waterburger for lunch tomorrow. I was just gonna say one other thing. You know, recently the In and Out chain has made its way to Dallas. And uh, I can say I'm thoroughly not impressed. <laughs> Let, let's not start a war. Yeah, let's not start a war. Let's not start a war. But let me just, I would, the story I'm citing, though, is when the first store opened here, people lined up. They waited for 24 hours. They had people who were from California who had moved to Texas, hadn't had an in-and-out in years, and they had a girl who was eating her hamburger and crying into her hamburger <laughs> talking about yeah. this magical experience. <laughs> and it was like, well, you know, Whataburger, in fact, ran a campaign where they had they ran stories of People who would drive from Oklahoma and would drive, you know, yeah. this guy got a hunkering for it, so he drove five and a half hours in his truck, and he got himself a Whataburger, yeah. and then turned around and went right back home. <laughs> and but well, in, in and out Burger makes his reputation on it's all fresh, it's fresh, and yeah. that's why they had, didn't ever come to Texas because there wasn't a distribution center in Texas. But it's fresh, it's fresh. Well, Whataburger has been doing fresh for fifty years, yeah, uh, well, 60, 64 years at this point. They've been doing fresh food local sourced food for for 64 years so you know it's already here <laughs> but it, it is it is a grow-up thing too you, you have to grow you grew up with in and out burger you grew yeah. up with water burger you grew up with crystals and and white castle but i'm just saying is that <laughs> if you know if you're from texas you grew up with water burger yes. in some sense yes and you know water burger feels like home yes it yeah. does i I'm, i can taste it right now mm-hmm who wants to go to Whataburger? Let's go to Whataburger. Let's go to Whataburger. It's not four in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstaple.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure and indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs> <laughs>